Hallelujah. I'm not the preacher. I'm going to take all the time. But, Brother Elliot, we are glad that you're here. And um, I said it in private last night. I'll say it in public again at any time that you need to just get away. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we want you to know that. We love you. We want you to come. Take your liberty. Amen. Preach what you feel. Thank you, Elder Regan, and praise the Lord, everyone. It is wonderful to be back in here in Olathe. And um, Brother Josh, I apologize. I did not get my verse list to you uh, in time, so I apologize about that. But I won't take a long time, but I do want to say again thank you to Elder Regan for inviting me uh, here, allowing me to come here in the first place, and for inviting me to preach this morning. Um, I was... Um, I didn't really know how to respond when he told me that he wanted me to preach uh, this morning because that because my you know dad had, had said you're not going there to preach so uh, I wasn't sure how to respond but um, I, I do appreciate that and uh, I, I wanted to obey what I felt that the Lord laid on my heart last night and um, I don't have a title or anything um, but I would like uh, if we could all turn to Ezekiel chapter 46 we'll read some other verses but we're going to take our text from Ezekiel 46 verses 8 through 10. And uh, <clears throat> it's wonderful to, to spend some time last night with Brother Jared Hilton, where he went, there he is, and uh, it's wonderful to spend some time in fellowship with him at uh, Joe's KC, that was a pretty good place, and uh, I'd, I actually never been there before, uh, when I came up before, and uh, that, was, that was pretty good. And wonderful to see Brother Goff again, got to spend some time with him a couple years ago, and see the great things that are happening over in Mission, is that correct? And uh, toured the, the church there. That was that's pretty awesome. I'm very glad about all the things that are happening there. And uh, just excited to see what God is going to do in the future here in Kansas City area. Ezekiel 46, verses 8 through 10. And when the prince shall enter, he shall go in by the way of the porch of that gate, and he shall go forth by the way thereof. But when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feasts, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it. And the prince in the midst of them, when they go in, shall go in. And when they go forth, shall go forth. I don't have a title or anything, but I just want to preach uh, today from these verses. And, uh, Elder, would you please pray over to this message today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for standing in reverence to the word of the Lord. You are welcome to be seated. And uh, I, I just want to skip back in Ezekiel 46 to toward the beginning of the chapter. 
And uh, the Lord is talking to Ezekiel about the house of God, about worship in the house of God. And he says in verse 1 that the gate of the inner court that looketh toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be opened. In the day of the new moon it shall be opened. In, order, in other words, there is a scheduled time to be at the house of God. And we believe that. We're, we're here. We're here at the scheduled time in the house of God. Verse 2, And the prince shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate without, and shall stand by the post of the gate, and the priest shall prepare his burnt offerings and his peace offerings. In other words, the prince brings an offering. And that is mentioned first, before verse 3, where it says, Likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the door of this gate before the Lord in the Sabbaths and in the new moons. So the gate of the inner court, or the house of God, was opened at a specific time. And the prince is there, and he offers the sacrifice. And I realize that this is referring, in Ezekiel, this is referring to the Old Testament ceremonial laws. But the law was given as a shadow of things to come. And I will point out that Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace. And if you'll allow me a couple of minutes, I will attempt to, to, uh, to share what I felt on my heart last night. Jesus Christ offered himself once for all. He offered a sacrifice for us. Hebrews chapter number 10. Let's go there for a few minutes. And beginning in verse number 1, Hebrews 10 and 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. I tell you today that if I could offer a sacrifice one time, bring a lamb, a goat, a cow, and offer a sacrifice once and be perfect forever, I would do it. We all would. If I could do something one time and have no more conscience of sins, you better believe I'd do it. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. The prince came and he offered the sacrifices. But it wasn't enough for all time. He had to come back the next Sabbath, the next new moon, the next year. Every time the doors were open, there had to be a sacrifice. That was the law. That was the shadow of good things to come. It wasn't the very thing itself. But verse 5 shows us what the thing itself was that was to come. Verse number 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, who else could the writer be talking about but Jesus Christ? When he cometh in the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. How could the writer say God had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Wasn't that what God required? Wasn't that God, what God had said? When Israel was right with God, he would say things like, I smelled the, the sweet savor 
of the sacrifices. Or when Israel was in sin, he would say, I'm not even going to sniff at your sacrifice. That was what God had required. How could he say that I've had no pleasure in it? Because the fullness of time had come. It wasn't time any longer when he cometh into the world. It was no longer time for bulls and goats and lambs. It was now time for the sinless, once for all, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Anyone remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. Verse 8 above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. They were offered by the law, but when Jesus Christ came, the law was being phased out. God no longer had pleasure in that. And then verse 9 again, he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Referring to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Verse 10, by the which will, the will of God, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace, not because he came to bring earthly peace. Because he said, I've come to set brother against brother. Come not to bring peace, but a sword. He didn't come for earthly peace. He didn't come for an earthly kingdom. He's the Prince of Peace because He made peace between man and God. That's why He is our Prince of Peace. He offered Himself once for all as a sinless sacrifice to be the mediator between God and man. Praise God. The Prince had to first come and sacrifice before the people could come to worship. Without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we all would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. He had to come and sacrifice first. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul's writing to Gentiles. These were Gentiles, like... I. Most of us, at least. I don't know if there's anyone here today who's of Jewish descent, but Gentiles were not allowed to be saved in the Old Testament unless they joined the Hebrew faith and became a Hebrew. But verse 11, Paul says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In other words, you were Gentiles. And the Jews had no dealings with you. They, they didn't want anything to do with you. He said that at that time, ye were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. What a bleak picture. Dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in trespasses and sins. Breathing, walking, working jobs, but dead. No hope without God in the world. But thank God for the next verse. But now, 
But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He offered a sacrifice. And no longer do you have to remain dead in trespasses and sins, but you can be alive in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. He came and preached peace to the Gentiles and to the Jews, to every single person in the world. Praise God. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom, also, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The prince came first and sacrificed and made peace. Made peace. Now the people can come and worship and partake of the sacrifice. Ezekiel 46 and 9 Again, this is the law. This is the shadow of good things to come. This isn't the very thing. But the principle, the shadow of good things to come, was that when someone came in from the south gate to worship in Jerusalem, to offer sacrifice and to worship, they were to leave by the north gate. If they came in by the north gate, they were to leave by the south gate. Seems inconsequential. What does it matter? If the south gate's closer to my house, why shouldn't I be able to go out the south gate? doesn't seem to make sense until you realize that this is not about entering in gates. This isn't about coming in the, the basement door or the front door over here. This is about leaving, the, leaving not the same way you came. The people were to leave different than they came. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Very familiar passage of Scripture to us. Paul writes and says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are not to remain the same. When we come into church, we come in a certain way. We have previously, uh, previous situations that we're dealing with. The brother mentioned it earlier in the song service, we, we're, we need to lay aside the things and leave different than we came. Second Corinthians, chapter number 5, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Once we have partaken of his sacrifice, how do we do that? Repentance, the death upon the cross. Repentance, dying to yourself, your sins becoming 
your sins being forgiven. And then baptism in Jesus' name. Washed away. Remitted. And in filling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Once we partake of the sacrifice. Once we partake of the sacrifice. It radically transforms our thinking and our lives. Radically. God is in the business of radical transformation. How many stories have we heard of someone who lived a certain way in the world, but when they came into church and God began to touch their lives, it changed them dramatically. My grandfather is an example. He was in a, a, a criminal motorcycle gang in Canada, in Toronto, when he was very young. He left, out, left uh, home at about 15 and by 21, he'd already been in jail several times and was fixing to go to prison for crimes that he had committed. God saved him. God saved him. One of the men who had been in that gang had found an apostolic church and came to a party that my grandfather was at and said, Bill, you got, you got to get the Holy Ghost. Grandpa said he remembers looking at, at Jimmy and saying, whatever you're on, I want some of that. Because the change in Jimmy was so radical. It was so marked. And Grandpa uh, eventually found that church and God saved him, filled him with the Holy Ghost the second Sunday that he was there. It's a radical transformation. My father said he has never heard my grandfather curse, never seen him drink. And both of those things were my grandfather's life before he came to God. Jesus' sacrifice was not some sort of play, not some sort of tragic theater for us to ooh and awe at 2,000 years later. But it was to radically transform the lives of sinners. The sacrifice made by the Prince of Peace enabled our access to real lasting transformation by virtue of the Holy Ghost indwelling the hearts of all who obey the gospel. Believers who obey the gospel and partake of Christ's sacrifice will find themselves transformed day by day into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 6. I forgot to put a marker in my Bible, so it'll take me a second to get there. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, the old man that was dead in trespasses and sins, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Praise God. I'm going somewhere with this. But the, the prince sacrificed first to enable us to come and worship and partake of the sacrifice. And then when we partake of the sacrifice, he radically transforms and changes our mind and our lives. And then, I never, I, I've, I've read through this passage in Ezekiel many times, but I never... I don't know if I never read verse 10 or just never noticed it. But when I read it last night, it just jumped out of the page at me. Ezekiel 46 and 10. And the prince in the midst of them. That's important. When they go in, shall go in. That's important. And when they go forth, shall go forth. That also is important. 
the prince in the midst of them. Matthew 18 and 24, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Our prince is in our midst when we gather in his name. When we go to church, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Ezekiel 46 and 10, The prince shall go in when the people go in. It was mentioned already before. Jesus is here waiting for us to get here. When we come in, he's here also. Praise God. And also, when we go forth, Matthew 10 and 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, let me just stop right here and say the ministry of reconciliation is not a previously unrecognized sixth fold of the ministry. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and reconciliators. That's not what it says. The ministry of reconciliation is not a ministry in, in the sense of Ephesians 4 and 11. But this is literally working with the Lord to reconcile the world back to God. The word of reconciliation in verse 19 is literally the gospel. We know this because in verse 18, he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And he starts verse 19 by saying, that is, to wit... That is, the ministry of reconciliation is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. When we preach that, we are preaching the gospel to the world. Mark 16 and 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. I'm not interested in stopping working either. God's here and He's working. He's ready to go forth when we go forth and work. Praise God. When they go forth, He shall go forth. If we could relate Mark 16 and 20 to today. If I could make a, an example. If I could... Uh, I guess, I, I, don't, I don't want to be guilty of changing the word of God, but if I could relate it, I guess, to our time today. The disciples, when it said they went everywhere, it means they didn't just go to Olathe and then go back home. They went to Olathe, that's for sure, but then they went to Lenexa, and they went to Overland Park, and to Mission, to Roland Park, to Garden, Gardner Edgerton, right? They went everywhere preaching, and the Lord worked with them. God has always desired to work with His church. That was the plan from the very beginning. The plan from the very beginning. 
Jesus never would have called 12 apostles, 12 disciples, and turned them into apostles if he had been interested in saving the entire world just by himself. There's a specific reason, and I don't pretend to understand everything, but we know from the Word of God that there is a specific reason he called people to spread the gospel to other people. Well, I'm, I'm nervous about witnessing. Join the club. <laughs> Me too. It gets nerve-wracking sometimes. But we have received this great and precious promise that our prince will go forth with us. When you speak to the clerk at the store, our prince is there to help you. When you knock on the door and you don't know who might answer, uh, what if it's some weirdo? We were all weirdos before Jesus Christ saved us. When you reach out, when you go forth, Jesus Christ is with you. Don't have fear. Matthew 28 and 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So be it. It is settled. I am with you always. Our prince has made the necessary sacrifice to reconcile us to God. When we partake of his sacrifice and obedience to the gospel, we are transformed by the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost. And then we are called and equipped to preach the gospel of reconciliation unto God to a lost city and world. Our prince sends us forth into the world, but he goes forth with us, working with us and confirming his word by miraculous signs. I'm done. If the musicians, I don't know how you do it, but uh, if the musicians, whoever will... uh, play will come I just have a couple of things to say here at the end and then I will be finished but I don't, I don't know exactly uh, where you are as far as, as what I had to say today I don't know what part of the message may have resonated with you if any of it did but I think we should take some time take some time to pray this in today let's thank the Lord for his sacrifice Let's never, never, never be ungrateful for a sacrifice. The blood is too precious to trample upon and to consider as an unimportant. Let's thank Him for His sacrifice again. Let's allow the Holy Ghost to change us day by day. Be refilled with His Spirit. Paul said the inner man is renewed day by day. And then... Let's go forth. Let's go forth into the world ready to witness the gospel to a lost world knowing that our God is with us. In Jesus' name, if you take, uh, these altars are open. You're welcome to come. Please, let's come and let's pray. Let's get ready to witness the gospel to a lost world. I want to be changed. I want to be changed inside. I want to be changed inside. So that when I walk into the world, they look at me and see a transformation. They don't see just me, but they see the power of the Holy Ghost working within me. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.